This is family friendly. We're not going to have this, the halftime show. I'm going to be doing some music at halftime. There's going to be cornhole. There's going to be card games. There's going to be a basketball tournament. There's going to be bounce houses, face painting, and all sorts of stuff to make it really fun for the family. And if you would join me in prayer for this and consider coming and consider instead of thinking, I don't really like football, thinking, who is somebody I know that needs Jesus that loves football and might come to this? Admission is free. Everything is free, except for there are some concessions, which are really good, which we got the list yesterday. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag yet, but uh, it's going to be really, really good food. Um, so it's going to be an awesome time. And we, I, since Rock of Grace is the covering over United Worship, we wanted to specifically invite you. And I know it's different than a normal thing we do, but when God says, what do we do? We obey, right? So you're invited next week. I'm going to invite Pastor Mark up here to receive the offering. Hey, thanks, my friend. One of the great privileges that we have as part of the family of God is that we can honor God with our life. And oftentimes, especially for men more so even than women, is that we identify our, our purpose in life by what we do. And so we go to work and we do our best to get that work done and we want to give God our very best. Well, offering is one of the means by which we honor God with our faithfulness. It's an expression, an extension of our lives to the Lord. And we want to lay our life down for his sake, for his glory. And so I want to encourage you this morning as you prepare to give, that you'll do so with an open heart, with an expectation that God is going to receive your gift with blessing, with great sense of, of honor. Uh, there are several ways to give. Giving boxes at the back, you might notice alongside the doorway, uh, the Church Center app that Jesse just uh, noted and then uh, online. So uh, let's pray right now, if you'd be so kind, and we'll have the ushers help us. Father, we thank you for this incredibly unique and special privilege that we could actually give to you. We, we're always in this uh, means by which we are wanting to receive something from you, that you could give us something, but You've given us this privilege that we could give this to you. So, God, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd anoint this money, the means by which we give you glory through our lives in this offering. May Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, my name is uh, Mark Beal. I'm Pastor Jordan's dad. My wife, Pam, uh, his mom. Excuse me. And uh, so this morning, I have been given the privilege to share God's word with you. I'm looking so forward to it. I want to give, uh, while they're receiving the offering, I just want to give a brief presentation of uh, the fact that today is kind of the kickoff day for the month of February to uh, emphasize family. And uh, I want to uh, share with you just briefly how our nuclear family got involved with the kingdom family of God. It began in 1980 when my wife and I were still dairy farmers in Minnesota. And uh, it, was, it was rough. You think the winters here are rough? You haven't lived till you live in Minnesota. And... Uh, one Sunday after chores, I came in, turned the TV on, and an evangelist was on the television that day, and he pointed his finger in the camera and said, if you're in a dead church, get out of it. 
I didn't know what he was talking about. I asked Pam. She didn't know. But that started our journey. If you're in a dead church, get out of it. So whether you're viewing online or whether you're here today and you're as a guest and you maybe have been involved in a dead church, that truth is as real today as it was in 1980. If you're in a dead church, get out of it because our time is ticking. I, uh, I want you to know that journey ended uh, and our, our search, our discovery for a live church ended on Sunday night in August of 1980, several months after hearing that. And uh, we listened to a 75-year-old former bootlegger share the message of the rapture. Now, uh, Will was just singing about the Lord returning. He's coming back, and we are to be ready. Uh, so I want to share, if I might, just, just a, as a brief preamble to what's happening today concerning family. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 24. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Can I encourage you? You want to endure to the end. When the Son of Man returns, and he will return, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and weddings and parties right up to the time that Noah entered the ark. And people uh, didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them Away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working in the field. Now, I heard that that night, and I'm a farmer. Two men will be working in the field. I grabs my, my, grab my wife's hands. I don't want to go to hell. And then he says, there's going to be two women grinding at the wheel. My wife grabbed me and says, I don't want to go to hell either. And that message of the rapture about the Lord returning for a church so awakened us. It was like a resurrection moment. We ran to the altar and asked Jesus into our heart. My friends, today, I want to encourage you that as you listen to the message and as we get close, if you're here today without a saving knowledge of Jesus, or possibly having lived much of your life in a religious context without a relationship with God. You've been in a dead church or in a dead experience. God wants to awaken us into a resurrection moment for us to come alive today. Who can say amen? Well, uh, Will just said as he uh, ended this worship series that he was singing with, says you have to be ready. There are four words that really struck me in this end time thing. We have to be waiting. Are you waiting for Jesus? Do you? My wife and I think about that every day. I mean, every day. We wake up, even this morning, we woke up saying, God, we kind of thought you might come last night. Well, we're still waiting. And then watching. Our, our bedroom window actually faces east. We're always looking. Waiting watching, warning others that he's coming. So I get that privilege to do that right now. Warning you that the Lord is coming, and we need to finally, we need to be ready. So waiting, watching, warning, and ready. Everybody, are you on, are you on board? Jesse, would you come here a minute? Um, one of the things that we did as a family, and I, 
I, I, I'm going to pray for the message um, shortly, but uh, did you... These were your cards that you put? Okay, I think these are yours right here. Okay, one of the things we did as a family is that we played Bible Challenge. Now, we, we, we were so ignorant. We didn't know, we didn't know anything. I, I didn't even know the books of the Bible or any of that stuff. And, and so we, shortly after we got saved, maybe a couple of years, we, we decided we'd buy this game called Bible Challenge. And it would be the boys against the girls, Jordan and I against Jesse and, all, and Pam and, all, and, and the other girls in our home. And we had a missionary come one night uh, to stay with us, and Jordan, he was only about five, he says to the missionary, if you don't, want, if you don't know your Bible, you have to sit on the girl's side. <laughs> he wanted to win. So... Uh, Jesse's going to be asking the girls a question and just holler the answer. Oh, do you need a microphone? Uh, and then I'm going to ask the guys a question. Are we on board? So just holler it if you know the answer. Let me start. So, now, this is, what, uh, this is how you start as a family. We, just did, we were a nuclear family, got saved. We didn't know anything. So we said, let's play a game, figure this thing out. So here's, here's, here's a question. Quote the smallest or shortest verse in the Bible. Yes! We are one up. All right, go, Jesse. Yeah, I think he gave us the hard cards. <laughs> I think we're like, you know, set up here. <laughs> what would make you think that? Oh, I know. I know exactly. Okay. Was Paul a Sadducee or a Pharisee? Sadducee. <laughs> <laughs> Paul yeah, was a the, Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. Okay, uh, guys, uh, who said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Yes, we're up to. Yes. I'm going to get him back. <laughs> who said, go and search diligently for a young child, and when we have found him, bring him, bring word to me. Yes, okay. Herod. What city did Jesus say would be surrounded by armies? Yes, Jerusalem, I heard it. We're up three. Who was the father of Methuselah? Yeah, not fair, right? <laughs> I set you up, didn't oh, I? You did. <laughs> he, he even starred him. He goes, I start easy ones for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, he didn't. Okay, think about it. Around Noah. That was Enoch. No. Enoch. Yes. Name the woman out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. Not your wife. What? Mary Magdalene, you're right. We're up four. In which garden did Christ undergo great suffering prior to the crucifixion? Woo, good job, ladies. The Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> okay, the last two questions. One, who described herself as the handmaid of the Lord? Yes, Mary. Excellent. Five in a row. We got all five. Whatever. Okay. Who commanded what Joseph's cup 
be put in Benjamin's sack. This is Old Testament. Who said that? Joseph. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, <Okay>. Mother. <laughs> She's got our back. Okay. I want you to know what you just experienced was what we did as a nuclear family. We just had fun. We had fun learning. And uh, for the most part, we didn't know these answers. We would look up. The, the, the cards always had the answers on them. And we would just learn little bits and pieces. We developed step by step. We developed a hunger for more of God, more of his word. And we'd start reading, looking for some of the answers, you know. And so I want to encourage you today as we develop the whole um, theme for the month of family uh, that we keep in mind uh, it is fun to be able to fall in love with Jesus and learn from him and that we can share that fun and that joy with others. Who can say amen? Father, we come to you in the matchless, precious, and mighty name of Jesus. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us today. Anoint these lips, anoint our ears. May we to a person say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. We thank you for allowing us to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit in this house. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds to the understanding of what it means in your heart concerning family. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, the Bible from the beginning to the end is a story about God's intent for the kingdom family. Now, the, the family was created to manifest God's rule and reign and to bring glory upon the earth through family, through the relationship, through the love that Adam would have with Eve and, and beyond. In fact, Ephesians 1.11 says this, both Jews and Gentiles were created for the specific purpose of bringing glory to God on the earth. By the way, that hasn't changed. We are still here that we might bring God glory upon the earth. Who can say amen? Family stories dominate the domestic revelation of the book of Genesis, where the sphere of love and war and nations are not in nations, but in family. And where critical events don't take place in the courtroom or a battlefield, but in the context of family. Because the concept of family is so expansive, I, I want to ask you to allow me to share just a brief overview of the, some of the significant events of family events to set up what we can take away today as one of the most important things we can experience as a family. So let's look at a biblical overview, very brief, uh, in order to discover the one thing that I believe when we leave here today will be of the greatest value for us to take home as a family. In Genesis, we see God establishing a biological and social family in Adam and Eve. And by the time we get to Revelations 22, we see that God has already adopted sons and daughters into a much larger kingdom family. But it's about family. And 
the original purpose of God in creating Adam and Eve was to have a family who would serve him, to praise him, to reign with him in his kingdom, and to bring him glory forever. And Satan, listen, Satan hates that. Do you understand? Satan hates that God has selected your family and mine to bring glory to God upon the earth. You become a target the moment your purpose is understood that you are here to give God glory. From that first family on, an all-out assault on the family took place. In Genesis 3.16, we read the words that God said to Eve after the fall. He said, your, uh, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So, hey, if you've been married more than a day, you know why there's tension in the home. Come on, isn't that true? It's right, there's tension in the house. Satan has continued that assault upon the family to this very day. One of the surest signs of the end times is the satanic, vicious, and violent attack upon the family, what I believe to be the final days before the Lord's return. My friends, I believe we're in that right now. It did not take Satan long to identify his primary target after the fall because once marital chaos was established, Satan set his sights on the kids. Cain's murder of Abel reveals the ultimate objective of every demonic effort to destroy your family. From the very beginning, the family became an inherent dichotomy of disappointment, pain, and struggle, and yet also of, uh, of help and hope and blessing. And that same dichotomy exists yet today. I'm so thankful that God did not hide the dysfunction and pain of those early families, but displayed his grace and patience, power and love in the restoration of those families. By the way, if you're experiencing pain and dysfunction in your family, or you grew up in a very dysfunctional, pain-filled family, I want you to know there's great hope for you. Even today, this message will bring you great comfort and great hope if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth into your life. Both father wounds and wounds from your mother create painful realities that can alter your life and destiny. I want you to listen very carefully to some of the things that I say today. Thought long and hard about this message as we initiate this month of family emphasis. So open your heart to these three wonders. The unconditional love of Abba Father the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, that you could be healed. And the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the healing and restoration to its fullest reality in your life. You're going to love it. So let's begin with Abraham. God's commission to Abraham is still his commission to every born-again, spirit-led Christian. Speaking to Abraham, God said this, I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. 
That's, that's our commission, dads. That's our commission, moms. We're there to bring a truth and revelation to our kids so that they have a firm foundation. Dads and moms, that's not going to happen apart from biblical truth revealed by the Holy Spirit. Come on, say amen. I want to say that again. That is not going to happen apart from the biblical revelation of truth and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to accomplish that commission. God promised Abraham that he would bless him, and in turn, he would be the conduit of blessing to generations to follow. That same promise is to us. God wants to bless us, not just for us, but that we might be the conduit of blessing to our children and their children, and to others' children as we adopt and absorb into the kingdom the family of God, that we'd be a blessing to them. Abraham's family was a mess. Everything from Sarah and Hagar's jealousy issues to Ishmael and Isaac's drama to his relentless difficulties even with his nephew Lot. So family chaos continued with Abraham's son Isaac who married Rebekah, who became pregnant with 10 boys. The Bible says that even while in the womb, Jacob and Esau were in a state of war. Their families to this day have become nations who are still in a state of war. Family chaos continued in Abraham's family as old blind Isaac was deceived by his own son Jacob who stole his father's blessing that belonged to his brother Esau. So we read in Genesis 27, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will kill my brother. So Cain kills Abel, and now we've got another brother scheming to kill his brother because Satan's attempt is to get us to hate each other, to get us to be at odds with each other to get us to destroy one another. You need to know Satan is absolutely on a mission to destroy your family. And if he can't be set, he's not satisfied with just marital chaos. He wants to set his sights on your kids. Come on, say amen. It's amazing how quick uh, hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness can enter. Even murder can enter the human heart. Well, Jacob goes on to have 12 sons, 10 of whom hated their brother and wanted to kill him. And they decided not to kill him, but to simply put him into the human trafficking line, and they sell him into slavery. Well, that's brotherly love. And by the time you get to King David, a teenage man whom it was revealed by God to the prophet Samuel, ah, here is a man after my own heart. Well, that would give us hope. This, this guy's going to have a great family. He's got, he's got a heart after God. He, he's got the inside track. Whew, enough of the chaos. Enough of the mess. Uh, David was a man guilty of polygamy, adultery, deceit, murder, Neglect of his duty as a father. You see, David was a great poet, a master warrior, and a wise king. But as Pastor Jordan even noted last week, he was a miserable and complete failure 
as a father. So, men, I want you to hear me. You can be successful in a variety of ways, but you better ask God for help to be the kind of father your kids need you to be. Come on, say amen. Well, David's son Solomon, although having a keen intellect, became one of the most pagan, God-worshipping, sexually perverse men who ever lived. And David's oldest son, Amnon, sexually assaulted David's daughter, Tamar. David's daughter by another woman. When David refused to deal with Amnon as a father to protect what was left of Tamar's honor and dignity, Absalom, Tamar's full brother, took matters into his own hands. Absalom arranged for Amnon's murder, which caused Absalom to become a fugitive and run away. And guess where he ran to? He ran to his grandfather's house. Because family is inextricably linked to some kind of support level, some kind of safety. I'm going to go somewhere that I can be loved and I can be understood, and, and that's going to be my grandfather's house. Well, despite the plethora of Old Testament evidence of family chaos and dysfunction, there is hope. Because the last words spoken by the prophet Malachi, in Malachi 4, the Messiah will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That one and only Messiah is named Jesus. Who can say amen? amen. And he made a public spectacle of Satan, defeating Satan at the cross. With the Holy Spirit, who's greater in you than he that's in the world, we can defeat every demonic effort to destroy our families. Can you give the Lord a clap offering? Come on. We're, we're on. We are on the side that is victorious. All of us have a father and a mother, whether physically present or in our lives or not. Not all families have to be displays of dysfunction and pain and suitable fodder for forensic files. <laughs> No, listen, God the Father gave us Jesus, his only begotten son, so that we could enjoy the victory that Jesus won at the cross for us and that we could be his family, adopted as sons and daughters. The family is not just biological and social unit that began with Adam and Eve, but a spiritual one that began with Jesus. It's through family, both nuclear family and the kingdom family, which God perpetuates both blessing and judgments. No matter how broken the family was that we may have grown up in or how broken the family is that we're currently in or how broken we are as a result of that brokenness, through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be healed. And we can begin that fulfilling that precious commission that God gave Abraham. I'm going to bless you. And despite your brokenness and despite the confusion and pain that you've suffered, I'm going to bless you and out of you will come blessing and blessing and blessing to multiple number of people. Isn't that good news? But listen to me. 
I want you to hear me. We're in a war. Satan has not relinquished uh, and said, I surrender. He is in this to win. And yet, we are at a place where we must ask the Holy Spirit for help in overcoming the satanic attacks upon our family to this very day. I believe Satan knows the time of the Lord's return is near, so he's in an all-out push to destroy your family. Hardly a day goes by without some evidence of that assault from state and school authorities who actually declare, your kids belong to the state, to gender surgeries being made accessible to your children apart from parental knowledge or consent, to parents having no right to know what their children are being taught in schools. Do you think Satan has your kids in his crosshairs? Oh, yes. School curriculum, social media, headline news, sports world, children's cartoons, to high-tech corporate America and beyond. The, assaulter, the assault on gender identity is relentless. The mantra is that out of basic human compassion, understanding, and cultural evolution, we can accept gender fluidity and all manner of other groupthink perversions intended to muddy the water on this subject. People do not know what's true anymore. Wikipedia changes the definition of words every day. Things have gotten so crazy, so fast, that the church at large has been slow to respond as to how to help parents in this assault on their families. So how are we to respond? Uh, by the way, all this is my introduction. <laughs> Jesus reveals a biblical truth that's under massive attack today. Matthew 19, 4 says, At the beginning, God created them male and female. End of story. Male and female. I don't care how many Ivy League university degrees you hold, how many billions you have garnered as a tech mogul, how politically correct you deem yourself to be because you live in Washington, D.C., or some state capital, or sit on a school board, if you conclude that there are more than two genders, or that men can become pregnant, or that drag queens are ought to be educators at your local library, you are the personification of stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Apple, creators of the smartphone, has even put a pregnant man emoji on their phone. Huh? They are so stupid. Do you understand how this assault is woven into cartoons and TikTok and Apple and Google and Wikipedia. and So what is the truth? You're not going to find it anywhere except the Word of God. You have to go back to God created them, male and female he created them. That doesn't mean we ought not to have compassion on those kids who have already been assaulted by this confusion. We need to be able to articulate with compassion, God's word. Speak truth in love, but speak truth. 
have courage and wisdom and boldness to stand on truth. You're not going to find it in Wikipedia, but you will find it in God's Word. The evil woke group think is an assault on family. It's satanic delusion and weapon of war. We are at war. You cannot afford to be AWOL. This warning is not just about poking mama bear, because most of the time you'll see how the mothers are in a rage. We are going to know what our kids are being taught. We don't want this taught in us. Yes, the mama bear has been poked, but where's papa bear? Because Abraham was given the commission, you are to be teaching your kids right and wrong. What is right and just? So dads, buck up. Start taking a stand. Who can say amen? amen? We can't afford to neglect the responsibility to defend the honor of your sons and daughters the way that David failed to defend the honor of his daughter. We have to stand up. Demand to know who's teaching what in the classroom. Critical race theory is demonic. Even back in the 1980s, I had to go to school to prevent my school health class teach my daughter sex education. I said, no, you're not doing it. Not to my daughter. That was back in the 80s. Think of the perversion that's being taught to our kids now. And by the way, she was like in 11th grade. They're teaching this garbage to our kids while they're in kindergarten. Satan is pulling out all the stops in an effort to prevent the glory of God from being displayed upon the earth. Now, parents, listen to me. I know I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> so uh, the good news is I know chances are whether you're online watching or whether you're here and I offend you, I, I'm thankful for forgiveness. You'll get over it. Okay, I want to tell you as parents, do not coddle your kids in regard to this attack on their sexual identity. Girls can grow up to be engineers and farmers and astronauts, and boys can grow up to be interior designers, but they're still male and they're still female, and they, it's the way God created them, and they need to be blessed and reaffirmed along those lines. Who can say amen? amen. Satan is evil, and this assault on our children is evil at its very core. In the history of this great nation, a nation that has traditionally been recognized as a protector of humanity, it is the assault on our families and our failure to protect our children that will prove to be this great nation's demise. We have to identify the source of this assault and destroy it before it destroys us. Come on, family, say amen. amen. Let me say it again. We are at war. So I say, put on your armor, grab the sword, grab your sword, and know what Jesus is. Know that Jesus is before you. He's behind you. He's beside you, and He's within you. And greater is He that's within you than He that's in the world. Paul writes in Ephesians six: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers in this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. It's those people in high places, whether it's government or tech or school or education, that have forsaken God, forsaken truth, that are now the purveyors of this. They are under such a huge delusion. Delusion. And God gives them over to that delusion. I trust we're clear about the following, and let me read these off if I might. Number one, God's intent for the family was for them to reign and rule with him and give him glory. Two, Satan's tactic to prevent God's plan is to destroy your family. Three, because of Abba Father's love, the redeeming sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, God's family can still fulfill God's destiny and plan for their lives. Who can say amen? Amen. Satan has pulled out all the stops in a uh, last-ditch effort to destroy your family, and we are in a state of war. Jesus is our commander. The Holy Spirit has equipped us with weapons for warfare and given us victory in the name of Jesus. Now... Romans 8, 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Would you give the Lord another clap offering? God, thank you. We're not alone. Okay, so I want to be able to give us one very positive, reinforcing, one wonderful weapon, so to speak, that we can take and leave here today and begin to practice that will, I believe, be one of the most, if not the most significant thing you can do to experience success in your home, success in your marriage, success with your kids. Who wouldn't want that? You want that in your family. What is this weapon of warfare that the Holy Spirit will use? I believe among all the biblical virtues afforded to us in God's Word, The Holy Spirit will use this important virtue to set you apart from other families experiencing great trouble and provide you with an atmosphere, an atmosphere perfectly designed for you to prosper. Several years ago, I developed a sermon series entitled The H Factor. There were five H's that were given, humor, Holiness, honesty, humility, and honor. I would encourage you, if you have a phone or you have a pencil, you ought to write those down. I had the audacity and presumption to say at that time that if you embrace these five H's, you'll never get divorced. You will, you will have, if you embrace these, if you practice these five H's, you will indeed Indeed, have a great and awesome family. Without exception. But there's one among those five that I believe to be the crown jewel. Embedded in Paul's treatise on the family, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself. Speaking to the husbands, of course. Meaning, serve her, lay your life down for her, protect her, provide for her, esteem her above all others, stay faithful to her. That's how you love her. And the wife, 
must respect her husband. Meaning, for those of you that are familiar, ask God for a Proverbs 31 anointing. In fact, if you're not familiar, just look it up and read it. You say, oh, come on. Nobody can live up to that. Well, no, of course you can't in the natural, but God will give you grace to incrementally embrace and absorb and fulfill that Proverbs 31 anointing. Well, the word honor is the word that I'm looking for. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. And that's what we want, God. It'll go well with our families. That you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, fathers, fathers, don't just let mom sit down with a devotional. Dads, sit down. Get, get a Bible challenge. Start going on. Let's have... It's okay to be wrong. Jordan and I lost a lot of matches because that woman is so stinking smart. <laughs> honor. What does honor mean? Well, honor means to esteem, to reverence, to recognize the high value of. So a person can honor God. We can honor parents. We can honor presidents and kings and queens and police officers and teachers and all manner of authority, and we can even honor things. I mean, we honor God's word. We honor certain traditions. Oftentimes, we can get a very clear picture of what a word means by looking up the antonym, the opposite of honor. Well, let's look that up. An antonym for honor is to despise, to treat contemptuously, to disrespect, to carelessly disregard. And finally, listen, to value as nothing. Now, the Ten Commandments begin with the first four, describing how we can honor God, and the last six, how we can honor one another. We honor God by valuing what he values. We honor family and others simply by recognizing the unique value that each person holds in our life. We, we, each person is a treasure in the eyes of God. And if that's true, then each person ought to be a treasure in our eyes. Is that right? Is that, are you flowing with me? Are you following that? Your wife, your husband, your children ought to be treasured and valued as unique treasures in your life. Who can say amen? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. While I tried, or we tried to incorporate all of the H factors in our home, Pam and I really emphasized honor as, as an, something that we could not deal with apart from every single day. We had to embrace honor. Now, Pam and I are celebrating our 50 years together this fall, and we've overcome a lot of tests and trials. But I think the most common source of irritation in those 50 years has been communication. Do you hear me, men? 
communication. I'm, I was a pastor. I'm supposed to be a communicator. You know, I'm, I'm asking you, do I need to be worried? Just, I'm just asking. My wife's favorite show is Discovery Channel, The Perfect Murder. <laughs> what? What really bothers me is she's got a little book and a pen, and she's taking notes. <laughs> when it comes to communication, I am quite content with brevity. I'll come home. How was your day? Fine. How was your day? Okay. How was your day? Great. How was your day? Rough. That never cut it. And I had to learn that that was not honorable. You see, my wife lives and loves details. I've never seen a detail in my entire life. <laughs> and here we are. Even the Cliff Notes version will not work. She wants the whole novel. She's got to have details. Well, I've learned to honor her by being a better communicator, although I still struggle. You see, several years ago, a very articulate pastor by the name of Dr. Gungor, uh, by the way, you could write this down if you wanted to. He's still on YouTube, and he wrote or is giving a presentation about two brains, the female brain and the masculine brain. And part of that male brain is this beautiful thing, this beautiful, wonderful, treasured thing called the nothing box. I spend most of every day in my nothing box. On my trip to Cleveland, on my trip all the way to, to Chicago, I can be in my nothing box. So when my wife is saying, what is the matter with you? What are you thinking? Nothing. I'm not thinking about anything. I enjoy, I love the peace of nothing. It is so wonderful. Now, my wife, the Lord bless you, poor little thing. Listen, <laughs> she's never known the pleasure of nothing. Her brain never stops. And even if it's not worrying about something that is currently happening or going to happen, she'll go back and revisit things she used to worry about. Her brain just... Oh, come on, honey. listen. Ha, I thank God for my nothing box. Men, enjoy it while you can. So I had to learn to honor my wife in my communication. So one of the first steps in creating honor, well, I'm going to give you five steps, and you might want to write them down, or you might want to revisit this online, but listen, here, here they are. Prefer your spouse above yourself. I know she doesn't have a nothing box, so that's not going to help me. I got I to gotta get into her world somehow. Step two, make a list of all the qualities you esteem in your spouse. So listen, let's just do ten. So I, I actually took the per, uh, liberty to develop 10 in my list because I do revisit things along this every day. I try and make it a practice to at least acknowledge 
my wife in a affirming or complimentary way uh, anywhere from six to ten times a day, just all the time, just all the time. And it just becomes second nature. So here they, here they are. My wife, although small, soft, and tender in stature, is strong and tough as nails. She's spiritually steadfast and incredibly loyal. She has impeccable integrity and unmatched beauty, both physically and in personality. She's faithful. She has never considered divorce. But murder has been on the table several times. <laughs> and I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. I know she thinks if David can be forgiven for murder, so can she. Anyway, she is so smart, it is intimidating, and so careful and safe, it's maddening. But she has kept our family alive and kept me alive all these years. Satan tries to undermine your marriage by initiating thoughts of dishonor, trying to get you to identify the things that your spouse isn't, that they're not up to. They haven't measured up your expectations. Can I tell you? Start emphasizing what your spouse is as a gift of God to you, that treasure, that treasure that he values. God made him. And God made her to be your perfect mate. This may sound a bit strange, but each of us possesses a relentless propensity to do something selfish or wrong or blatantly sinful. Given that reality, one of the most significant ways to bestow honor to someone and be the recipient of such behavior in your family is to... Create, now here's the third step, create an atmosphere where humility and forgiveness is always present. Don't let ego get in the way. Just say, honey, please forgive me. I, I did not mean to be that selfish or that rude or that reckless. I know from many in the hearing of this voice, you've heard me say we never allow the words, I'm sorry, to be spoken in our family apart from the words, would you please forgive me? And the reason is because there's no biblical foundation for the words, I'm sorry. So please, involve forgiveness into the atmosphere of your home. Yes, you may indeed be sorry, but don't let it end there. Say, honey, would you please forgive me? Allow me to paraphrase Gary Smalley, a Christian author and counselor. He said, asking forgiveness creates an atmosphere of safety, and safety is a part of bestowing honor. Safety is being able to accept and enjoy the differences you have with each other. I can tell you that after 40 years in ministry, uh, even getting started in ministry, that my wife and I have interacted with a lot of couples and one of the greatest challenges they face is that safe environment. Stop trying to change your spouse. Well, ask the Holy Spirit, change me. God, God will change your spouse if you're praying and you're waiting and you're patient. Let God change you and then let God change your spouse. 
Who can say amen? So four, stop trying to change your spouse, but rather allow the Holy Spirit to change you. That goes for your kids as well, creating a safe environment for them to grow. Each child needs to be treasured for their uniqueness, valued for who God designed them to be. So when the Bible says in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, that literally means, five, ask the Holy Spirit to help you discover the unique way God has formed your child. So you've heard me say, if you've been here for any length of time, that when Jordan was born, we've Stood back like this, somewhat amazed. Listen, look at the fingers on that kid. Look at that mitt. He's going to be a guitar player. And so we put a guitar in his hands when he was five years old. And Jimmy, Jimmy trained him up as a big brother ought to do. And I'm telling you, he became a wonderful, gifted musician. And even now, even now, it wasn't just my perception, but, you know, Jordan is on the cusp of, of adopting little Lucas into his family. And I was over there playing. I was watching this kid. He's not even two years old. And he's taking these things out, and he's building them. I, I was trying to figure out how to do it, and he, he, he was doing it. And I said to Jordan, that kid's going to be an engineer. He sits back. He looks at things. He's not quite rubbing his beard yet, but he's thinking things. <laughs> and he figures it out, and then he puts it together. It's remarkable. Even the, the lady at the, uh, I was going to say Goodwill, that's not it. The uh, daycare, thank you. The woman at the daycare even said, He's, this kid's going to be an engineer. Well, we, I don't know. But put him in the arena where he can prosper or what she can prosper. Identify those things that God has given them and value what God values. Treasure what God has given to them. Who can say amen? When the Bible says, dads, do not exasperate your children, it means don't make them angry and frustrated because of your selfish, foolish behavior. Many men struggle with a propensity that triggers anger quickly. I suffered from that. When I got saved, I was a vulgar, angry Loving alcohol, loving pot man. And God had a lot of work to do to change that. And I, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> and God will do the same for you. I, I'm going to give this one example. I, I just thought of it now. I, I, I remember a speaker at a men's event that I was at. And he gave this illustration. And I'm, I'm sharing this to you as fathers. The dad uh, was rather well-to-do. His son had asked permission to take his girlfriend to the prom. And he said, Dad, uh, could I use your Cadillac to take her to the prom? Dad said, I, I don't let my Cadillac go out to anybody but me. He said, but I just want to take her on this one date in your Cadillac. Could I do that? Dad says, okay, I'll let you do it. This one time, don't ask me again. So it gets near that time of the prom. He gets all ready. It's that, it's that great morning. But the son had come home the night before, and he missed his curfew. And he said to his son, because you missed your curfew, you're not taking my Cadillac. 
the kid went ballistic. He went in, slammed the door of his bedroom, just mad. He just blew up. The dad then, he got mad because his ego was now online. And now it's going to be man against mad. And, and the father came over there and he kicked the door and his foot went, actually went into the door. And as soon as his foot went in the door, he says, what am I doing? Because God convicted him, he had exasperated his son. He had made a promise unconditional that he could use the Cadillac. And now, in the final hour, he changes his mind. He exasperated his son. This young man who's still developing manhood, developing self-control. So, fathers, listen. I don't know why it is, but we are given to be angry quickly. Many of us, anyway. And only the Holy Spirit is able to temper that Give you the gift of self-control. I know it's our fruit of the Spirit, but it's also a gift that comes by relationship with and intimacy with Jesus, that the Holy Spirit can fashion us into the likeness of His Son. Well, I want you to know that one of the things we learned is that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Spend time with them. Get off your phones. Shut the TV off. Spend time with your kids. It's not just... Uh, in fact, speaking of that, it would be good to learn the five love languages. Develop that understanding. Find it out. Search it out. What are the five love languages? You come right up on, on YouTube or whatever, they'll find it for you. Well, I want to close by moving from the nuclear family, just briefly a couple of comments on the kingdom family, because we're family. We are family. In fact, when we created the name Rock of Grace, one of the things that we insisted on is that we make it Rock of Grace family, ministries, because we love each other. We care about each other. So here's what the Word says. In 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what real love is. Jesus, life, Jesus gave his life for us so that we could give our lives for each other as brothers and sisters. That's why we open up our homes and our hearts to one another. The book of Acts says all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own and they shared everything they had. This wasn't some governmental socialism or communism. This wasn't a state thing. This was a church thing. This was nuclear families that recognized, I treasure you. You're my sister. I love you. If you have need, I have what you have need, then you can have it. If you need an extra car, I mean, if you have a car, if you know, if you need a car and I have an extra, I'll give it to you. And if, there's a, if, if I've only got one and you need a ride, let's go. Come on, say amen. So uh, there's something about laying your life down one for another. The Lord says in Psalm 68, God sets the lonely in families. 
not just in the care and comfort of human families, possibly through uh, foster care or adoption and mentoring, but even in the fellowship of the family of God. God sets lonely in families. You might be lonely as you're listening to this online or lonely as you've come today. God doesn't want you to be lonely. He wants you to be in relationship, filled with brotherly love, sisterly love, for you to feel connected, that we actually literally care about each other. Over the years, I don't know how many cars Rock of Grace has given away. I can't tell you the amount of compassion that has been just given. This church has been so phenomenally gracious, developing this compassion fund that just, it was just remarkable. So at this time, I'm going to ask that the prayer team, some are couples and some will be singles, but they're going to they're going to scatter around from, from edge to edge. Would you get up and do that now? Prayer team, altar team. Would you, if, if you're there with your husband and wife, that'd be good. Because listen, there's a couple of things I want to share. If you're here this morning and your family is a mess, God can heal that mess. Don't leave it that way. Allow God to come in and heal your family. A couple of months ago, I had incredible, painful arthritis in my right hand. I couldn't even lift a glass to my mouth. It was just... I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I, I went to a hand specialist, and I had, I had surgery on this hand. I said, how long do I have to recover? He said, well, what you're going to go through is going to be exceedingly painful. But in three or four months, you should regain your strength and be pain-free. Well, that's exactly what's happening. It's been a couple of months. I'm still exceedingly painful, but it is getting stronger incrementally and a little less painful. And that's the way these altar calls are. You might be dealing with a difficult situation in your home. You're you're just trying to lift that glass indefinitely. You're living with the pain indefinitely. How long are you going to put up with that pain before you go and get help? And even if you go get help, it may require some surgery, some counseling, some intervention that will say, this is going to hurt for a while. Your your ego is going to have to die. You're going to have some real issues here. But I can tell you that if you follow God's word and the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're going to end up with not only with no pain, but strength. And your family will prosper. Who can say amen? Now, that same principle exists. That's why these people out here, they don't have perfect marriages, perfect families. They're not perfect people. All of us grew up in situations where we were wounded or hurt, and and we ourselves are in some degree of a mess. 
And we live and walk with that limp in our life from something our father said or our mother said. Now's the time to let God come in and heal that limp. Now's the time to come and, and let God do surgery on your home. Romans 12 says, don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Now listen, don't just put up with it. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good, what is true. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. So, you might be lonely this morning and somehow you found yourself here. Great place to be. Go, go to somebody and just say, would you pray with me? I, I just need a friend. You might be here and say, you know, my wife and I, she just, she just doesn't appreciate my nothing box. So would you pray for us? We want our marriage to be stronger. And you might be here as a dad or a mom saying, you know, I, I knew I should stand up for my kids, for their honor and their dignity, but I haven't had the courage. Quite frankly, I, I just didn't know how to go about it. And you need that courage, and you need that witness. Would you go and let somebody pray with you? Where's my wife? Pam, would you come here? My, my wife and I will be up here. If you're a guest with us, you can always hang out in the foyer and get to know somebody. There will be people out there eager to talk to you. But if you're a guest and you just feel like God is saying, ah, that's why I brought you here today. You needed to hear this. Come here, honey. I'll come down with you. So our hearts, both my wife and I, for this church, we, we've been here now since 1992. We love you. We want the very best for your home. And we want this church to, to embody that. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them love. So would you bow your heads this morning? You know, when we say bow your head and, and even close your eyes, it's, it's an intentional thing on our part to say, get alone with God. Is it me that's standing in the need of prayer? Is it my home? Is it my heart that's hard? Am I dealing with anger? Am I dealing with selfishness? Could my marriage be better? And if that's you, I don't want you to wait. I want you to get up right now and go to somebody at the wall 
go to, a, go to another brother or sister and say, would you pray for me? Come on, we can do it. Just, just get up and go. And we'll just, we'll just trust God to begin the healing process. And we'll, we'll, begin, we'll believe God to instill courage and wisdom as to know how to go about, how to protect our kids. And sometimes we just need agreement with that. So take this moment now. Ask God, is it me? And if it is, if you feel the witness, go to somebody and ask for prayer. If you're here today without a saving knowledge of Jesus, asking him to forgive you, to know that he died for you and that he's coming back for you will change everything in your life. If you want to be saved, come. Talk to somebody at the altar team, my wife and I. We'll make this day a super day, super Sunday. So, Father, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are yet to accomplish in each of our lives as we fulfill our destiny, as we allow the Holy Spirit to change us into the treasure you want us to be for our spouse and for our kids. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, would you stand with me? I want you to give the Lord a heartfelt thank you from your spirit and say, help me to become the person you want me to be, to be the parent you want me to be, to be the spouse you want me to be, to be the child you want me to be to my parents. Help me. And having done so, I want you to give the Lord a thanksgiving clap. Say, thank you, Lord. There are still people at the, at the altars and around the walls waiting for you to come. So as you leave, would you go and feel comfortable to get prayer this morning? Thank you.